Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, the headlines say Russia has cut off gas to Poland and Bulgaria. Some think that won't impact those country citizens or the millions of Ukrainian refugees. Or will it? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? They begin. Well, many are looking at this as what could be the beginning of many of Europe's biggest tests to date as it relates to Ukraine and Russian oil and gas in particular. Uh, let's dig into that a little bit. Christine Brzezina is a senior fellow and head of the geopolitical team at the Alliance for Securing Democracy in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., where she works on building transatlantic cooperation to counter authoritarian interference in democracies. It's really important work. Christine, thanks for joining us on a Friday. So glad to be here. Uh, so let's start with uh, what is happening as it relates to, to Poland uh, and to Bulgaria. What exactly has Russia said? What are the implications? So Russia, at the end of March, had demanded that European countries pay for the gas they import in rubles, in Russian rubles, rather than in euros. The contracts had been written originally in European currency rather than in Russian currency. But because of the sanctions against Russia, because of its invasion of Ukraine, Russia is having a hard time accessing euros. Um, Instead, Russia wants to keep getting money it can use for the gas it's sending over to Europe and therefore has demanded this payment in rubles. Many European countries said, no way, that's not what the contract says, and this isn't in line with our goal here, which is not to strengthen your war effort. In response, uh, in the last week, Russia has said to two countries in Europe, to Poland and to Bulgaria, that it would shut off gas flows to those countries, uh, and it has done so. Poland and Bulgaria are in Europe's east. They're EU members, they're NATO members, uh, but they are lower on the totem pole as far as Russia is concerned. Poland uh, is providing significant assistance to Ukraine. It is important for transit also of weaponry into Ukraine, and so Russia seems especially eager to exert influence and pressure on Poland right now. There have been reports from Bloomberg that four European countries did set up special accounts to transfer money in rubles 
to Russia. So they'd send euros into a particular bank account, which would then flip them into rubles at Gazprom Bank. Uh, Hungary and Austria uh, are among those who have done that. And one German utility has said that it would be doing that, even though the government insists upon a different policy, the government of Germany. Oh, that's fascinating. And, uh, and so I want to dig into that component in terms of does this become something that ends up fracturing uh, what has been an amazingly united Europe uh, for the first uh, part of all of these challenges, the, the sanctions and so on? Uh, does this have the potential to be one of those cracks uh, in the unity of both the European Union and also the, the NATO allies? I think it has the potential for being that crack, but so far Europe has held pretty well. And when you look at the timing of this particular cutoff, I don't think we need to be too worried just yet. Yes, Poland and Bulgaria are more vulnerable. They're less rich. They're further east. At the same time, they've had really bad experiences with Russia in the past in the Soviet era. Um, and they have greater resilience uh, and societal buy-in when it comes to understanding that Russia may not be the right actor. At the same time, starting in 2009, when Russia cut off uh, gas transit across Ukraine, the European Union has finally put in a lot of really good legal steps and funded infrastructure to provide European countries alternatives and to let European countries share gas reserves. So for now, because we're going into May, because it's warmer and gas is so important for household heating in particular, there's less need and there are new ways for countries to be able to get gas that is not uh, Russian gas alone. Bulgaria is finally getting its act together and connecting to Greece and building an interconnector with Greece so that it can get uh, any of the gas that comes into Greece either from uh, from Azerbaijan or, you know, there can be LNG, liquefied natural gas, other access points. That's a good thing. And Poland has a liquefied natural gas terminal. It has connections to Germany and other neighbors that can go in various directions. And uh, Poland is about to finish a pipeline where it can access Norwegian gas. This infrastructure is almost there. It'll be there when the summer is over and when you need more heat again. And so this is symbolic, but it's not going to break these countries. Um, and these are countries with higher resolve to begin with. So I think this is almost a last ditch effort on Russia's part, knowing that Europe has been anticipating this kind of behavior for a long time. Oh, that's fascinating. And I, I've been dying to ask you this question. You've you've made comments around the fact that this would be a, a major challenge to European values. Uh, and I want you to dig into that for us in terms of, uh, you know, how how we can do this in the in the face of a very aggressive nuclear power, uh, nuclear armed power in in Russia. What uh, what does this mean for European values and those member nations? The governments of the member nations have stood really firm in terms of passing sanctions against Russia, speaking out, supporting Ukraine. But the energy sector has often been interested in just cutting a good deal. And there have been a lot of long-term energy, especially executive-level ties between Russia and European countries. And so when you see some 
countries um, sign deals with Russia still. This, I think, goes against that principled stance that frankly governments are more excited to take, but the industry is more reluctant to. There's always been this hope in some European countries that change in an autocratic country like Russia would happen through trade. That's been an explicit policy of Germany. What we have often seen instead is that the culture of the corporations engaging in that trade gets corrupted. Um, And instead, we're seeing change in the business industry and democracies rather than a democratization in the autocratic country. And maybe that's what we're seeing right now when you have such strong resolve by governments in Europe to hold a tough line against Russia, but the industry still wanting to get a good deal. Uh-huh. And this could be a moment where industry really has to start getting in line with what the official policies are and understand its era of cutting a good deal at the expense of uh, democratic values. Maybe those days are up. I uh, love that. Great, great insight. Christine Berzina, senior fellow and head of the GO. Uh, politics team at the Alliance for Securing Democracy in Washington, D.C. Christine, thanks for your insight today. Really complicated, complex thing. Thank you for breaking it down in a way that we all could understand and see the impact uh, of all of these things in the days and, and months ahead. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. Uh, so I love some of the things that Christine said there. Uh, I do think that idea that it's the some of the businesses uh, in terms of are they willing to cut the deals that are good for them economically at the expense of the shared values uh, of these countries. Uh, that's an important conversation, an important uh, thing to really dig into. And we'll keep getting into that as we get into next week as well. Coming up, we're going to uh, focus on this idea that we always hear a lot of whining and complaining about. Do large corporations pay taxes? Many people get upset when they hear reports of multinational organizations not paying a dime. But Garrett Watson with the Tax Foundation says those headlines aren't exactly true. So we're going to think again about that coming up next. Think again with Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.